I can't wait to come to church on Sunday. I can't wait. It is the high point of my life, uh, knowing I'm going to hear this and I'm going to see you. Somebody said to me this morning, uh, you, you know, you're 71 years old. Do you, do you have any idea about, like, retirement? And I said, retirement? Are you kidding me? My father preached till he was 84 in a wheelchair, his last sermon, and died nine days later. Nine days later. My grandfather preached till he was 81 years old uh, and died two weeks later. So all I can tell you is, as far as I'm concerned, I'm in this till God calls me home. And so I know Linda agrees with me, so is she. We're in this to the end to serve him. And we are delighted that you're here. So by the way, before I begin, uh, if, don't worry about getting a parking pass today. I was just told that the gates will be open. They will stay open. So you'll be able to get out without being locked in. All right? So they're having some issues. So uh, I appreciate that. So you make note of that. So we are continuing in our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and this week we are in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. And Jesus says there, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine? That's the promise of becoming the Christian, that you will be persecuted, that you will receive suffering but that you will be blessed because of that. And so as we put everything together as what Jesus has given us so far, you see the picture of the born again uh, man and woman beginning with being poor in spirit and mourning uh, about that condition uh, and then becoming humble and meek before the throne of God uh, and then hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God to be filled with that uh, and, and then basically to become merciful. Because as God changes you in this way, you must be. You must be merciful. There is no other way if you're born again and your heart and life has been changed. Uh, and, and then you become the peacemaker. Then you become the peacemaker, effectively spreading the uh, odor of Jesus everywhere you go. Uh, and bringing a lost world uh, into a relationship with Christ. And so in effect, Jesus is telling his disciples, and remember, this is who he's speaking to on the Sermon on the Mount. This is what is going to happen to them when they follow him. And the same is true for us today. Uh, it is because, really, that the, the Christian is a peacemaker, is merciful, is born again, is righteous, that he is persecuted, that's exactly why he's persecuted. This gives us a great uh, insight into the Christian life. Uh, and the juxtaposition of these beatitudes amplifies it, especially the first one and the last. Uh, poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. You see that. Uh, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. And now this one. Suffering for the righteousness of God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and so Jesus effectively opens and ends the, the Beatitudes with this statement uh, in order to indicate to his disciples, this is what membership in the kingdom of God is all about. 
This is unlike anything the world had ever seen before or would ever see again. And again, the Jews had the false notion about what it meant to be the kingdom of the Lord, what, what the role of the Messiah would be. And Jesus is teaching them, this is exactly how God sees you, how God sees your role, and what our expectations should be as Christians. Uh, and so this is an astounding statement, really, an astounding statement, yet it is as much a function of being a Christian as being pure in heart. Uh, and yet, again, as I've often said week to week there again, there's no other beatitude capable of misunderstanding and misapplication. And so we need to understand really what Jesus is saying precisely here. And so as we drill down on this beatitude, I believe the most important phrase here is, quote, for righteousness sake, for righteousness sake. It does not merely say that you are blessed uh, because you're persecuted, uh, but rather blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. It does not say you're blessed because you might be difficult or unreasonable or hard to get along with. Um, and because, yes, you're going to be persecuted because of those failures in your own character. And we all know Christians who have become persecuted because they have pursued some personal issue which they believe is important to them. Uh, and as a result of that personal issue, they have become mistreated or treated poorly. Uh, the promise of this blessing does not apply to those people, and that's important for you to understand it. It is for righteousness' sake, righteousness' sake, that the blessing takes place. Um, as Christians, we can bring endless suffering to ourselves needlessly uh, over things that are unnecessary in our spiritual walk. And I'm going to emphasize that today in this message. Now, we are not told, we're not told that we are blessed because we have acted wrongfully or persecuted because we have done that. Uh, and Peter put it well in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15, where he said, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer. Well, we don't suffer because we've committed some crime. Some, we don't suffer because we've, we've been uh, misapplying our lives. That's not the essence of this beatitude. Uh, this, this text also does not mean that blessings follow Christians persecuted for a cause. And that, let's, let me make that clear. Just because you're pursuing a cause doesn't mean that that cause is aligned with the will of God. Uh, and so we have to be careful about that in our, in our Christian life, separating out for righteousness' sake as distinguished from pursuing a cause. These two are not always identical, and that's important to understand it. There are some people who seem anxious for martyrdom. But that doesn't mean that they're walking with God or that their, their causes are aligned with the will of God. We have to be very wary of mixing religion and politics. Very wary. And I would say that the, the uh, church, the American church, has fallen into that rut where the American church really has now aligned itself with politics. Well, I don't see this in the Bible. Certainly, I don't see this with Jesus. I don't see it in the first century church. And so if we begin, really, to mix our religion and our political thinking, it should not come as a surprise that we receive persecution. Uh, 
or suffering. And this will not of necessity be uh, the pursuit of righteousness as God sees it. And so there are no blessings from that particular activity. Uh, and so if you suffer persecution for that mindset, for that way of life, you shouldn't blame God. Don't blame God for that. Uh, that's something that you're responsible of. May the Lord give us the discernment to understand the ability to discern between a spiritual life uh, and a worldly life and political judgment. You need to have that. And so this principle articulated by the Lord uh, goes even further than that. And that's why this is such a profound statement. The beatitude does not even say, blessed are those who suffer for being good or being noble. Now, why is that? Well, the reason for that is that the world, you see, looks at people who do good things, uh, who are noble, and elevates those things. For some reason, the world elevates that because the world sees that as something it can aspire to be. You see people that maybe do some great philanthropic work uh, and you see the world give, give them um, medals and raise them and, and treat them great, greatly. And it embraces those kinds of people. But the Beatitude is not speaking about that. Uh, and, and there are people who have made great sacrifices, uh, given away fortunes, uh, given away wealth and careers. And yet this Beatitude does not speak about that because the world treats them as heroes. no. No, Jesus is speaking about something different, about something that causes the world to despise us, to despise the Christian. And so being righteous, you see, practicing righteousness really means being like the Lord Jesus. You see that in Jesus. You see that in every, every aspect of his life. Blessed are those who are persecuted for being like Jesus. Uh, and, and when you are like Jesus, when you live your like, life and walk like the Lord, then you can guarantee that you will receive persecution. And Jesus said this so well uh, in John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus said there, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Remember the words I have spoken to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. What a poignant statement by our Lord as he indicates the world hated him. Why did they hate Jesus? He did nothing but be good, sinless in every way, and yet they hated him. They hated him because his very righteousness convicted them of their sin. It was his very righteousness that convicted them of their, of their hypocrisy. Look what Paul said uh, to his associate Timothy, uh, who was complaining because of persecution. And he said this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, everyone wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus 
Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil men and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so as the evil world effectively devolves and get worse and worse, and you don't see them being persecuted or suffering, and yet you see the person who lives a righteous life walking with Christ, suffering persecution. And you see it as Jesus said it. They hated me, and that's a sign that if they hate you as they will hate you, you do not belong in the world. You're not part of the world. You're not pals with the world. That's why the world does not elevate you. It does not lift you up and affirm you, all right? Because what you are is a son of the living God, all right? And the world is not sold out to God. It's sold out to Satan in the very same way. And so seeing you, seeing your life convicts them. And that's why eventually, eventually, uh, suffering and persecution comes our way. And you should be prepared for it. Look at the examples that we find in Scripture. Just a few. Look at Abel, who was persecuted by his brother, Cain. Ultimately killed for doing nothing, really, but being a godly man. Look at Moses. Look at the persecution that Moses received, not only from Pharaoh, but from the Jewish people themselves. How they persecuted and maligned him in every way. Even, frankly, his own brother and sister uh, as they misconstrued his calling. You see what happens, uh, how, how persecution and suffering follows the godly. Look at David. Look at David. Here he was. Here he was called by God and anointed by God. Uh, to be the next king of Israel at the age of 16. And then for the next 16 or 17 years, all he received was, was suffering and persecution by Saul, who trailed him all over Israel, who tried to kill him in multiple ways. And never once did David rail against God. Instead, he bowed in submission before God because he understood that's what happens to the righteous who are living in, in accordance with the will of God. It is inevitable. You will see this in your life. If you haven't seen it already, you will see it. These were the most incredible men the world had ever seen. They were persecuted, really, not because they were difficult or because they were zealous, but simply because they were righteous. They were righteous. They were sold out to God. It is not surprising really, that Paul said that uh, all, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Who had a better experience than Paul in this regard? Look at Paul from the moment he had that experience on the road to Damascus where he saw Jesus face to face who called him out of the Jewish religion and brought him into the new theology of Jesus Christ. Look at how his life was for the next 35 years. Constantly in jail, constantly in fear of his life. In fact, one time he was actually killed and God brought him back when he was stoned. And so it went on and on and on, imprisoned for years and years for no other reason than he was advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the warning to you. This is what happens. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because eventually they will be pursued 
and they will suffer for righteousness' sake. And so look ultimately at the greatest example of this is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here he was, the perfect, utter person, completely sold out to the will of God, sinless in every way, never falling outside of the will of God. And how did the world treat him? Did it elevate him? Did it praise him? Did it lift him up? No, they hated Jesus. That's the word he used. They hated me. Why? They hated me because his righteousness convicted them. You see, it didn't matter if Jesus never said a word. The essence of his life was so utterly convicting that the world wanted him dead. Uh, and so when you read the long history of the Christian church, when you read it for 2,000 years, you will see this verified. There's no question about it. If you're a student of church history, it's very obvious. The persecution is not confined to the world. And let me say this, and this is uncomfortable, and I don't like having to say it, but I will. Some of the worst persecution comes from the church itself. The worst persecution comes from the church itself. Why do I say that? Because when you're sold out to walking in a church, thinking that you're walking with God, thinking that the other brothers in that church are walking with God, and then you will find that somehow, some way, that's not the case. Because not everyone is sold out to God. And so what happens? The persecution comes from the church, it will hit you, and when it hits you, you are blindsided, and it is some of the worst things that you will ever experience. It is a betrayal. It is a betrayal that is so profound it can drive you to your knees, to your knees, and I want to prepare you for that, that that is not unreasonable to see happening. That's how the church happens. We see it in the Roman church for 2,000 years especially so in the Middle Ages, all those men who were persecuted in the 1400s and 1300s, Wycliffe and Tyndall, who did nothing but want to serve God, who wanted to get the pure word of God, who wanted to read a Bible so that the church could see a Bible and be able to read the word of God, did nothing but that, and they were murdered. By the world? No. By the church. By the church. And so I want you to understand this. That's the nature of persecution and the nature of suffering. And so you should understand that. They were persecuted by people who were nominal Christians who considered themselves righteous, walking with God. Uh, and in fact, it is not the case and what you see, what you see, and you see it not only in the Roman church in the Middle Ages, you even see it in England in the 1700s when they persecuted the Puritans. Who were the Puritans? They lived righteous lives. But English people repudiated them. The church repudiated them. They didn't want them to be part of what they were doing. And they were forced as a result of that to flee England and come to the new world and give up everything that they knew. That's righteous persecution and suffering. And so we need to understand this. Uh, and, and I want to say this because I know there are a number of people in this congregation who have been persecuted by church. I know you. I know your hearts. I know where you have been. And I want to assure you that God sees you. 
He understands where you were walking and how you were living your life and that you did nothing, nothing but serving him and walking in righteousness. And God is promising you that you will be blessed. You will be blessed. In fact, this very church, really, the genesis of this very church comes out of that kind of cauldron. That's how God forms a work when he sees persecution that's inappropriate. And God takes it, takes it, and lifts it up. And I remember the words of Joseph. Oh, Lord. These are words that that stay in my heart constantly when he looked at his brothers 16 years after they sold him into slavery. And when he saw them, he said 16 years later, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Put it on your refrigerator. Live your life knowing that. That even as people hurl invectives at you, even as they hurl evil at you, that God is covering you and protecting you. No, the world doesn't elevate. The world doesn't elevate the noble. The world doesn't elevate the righteous, rather. Uh, But God does. And so, look at why. Why is it that the scribes and Pharisees hated Jesus? Why did the scribes and Pharisees hate Jesus? Weren't they religious people? Yes, they were. But let's fundamentally make a, a differentiation between being religious and being sold out to God. God does not care about your religiosity. And so the scribes and the Pharisees were sold out to a formal religious system. But they were not sold out to bowing in submission before the throne of God. And because of that, when the Messiah came, and when he walked with them, and these men who knew the scriptures, knew what the psalm said, who had prepared them for the coming of the Messiah, rejected Jesus because of his righteousness. He convicted them of hypocrisy, of self-centered natures, of narcissism. That's what they were. And Jesus repudiated all of that in every aspect about in his life. There was something about Jesus that condemned them. Something, his life. Jesus made them feel that their righteousness was like filthy rags. Now here's the point. When that happens, what does, the, what does the man who becomes the born again Christian become? He comes back to the first beatitude. I mourn for my sinful condition. I mourn for my spirit. And I reach out to God. But they never did that. Instead, they killed the messenger. They killed the son of God because his very life convicted them. Uh, it was not because Jesus was good or because he did amazing things. They killed him because of his righteousness. Uh, And that's exactly how the world is today. And you should be aware of that as you walk with God and and aspire for the Beatitudes to take place in your life. Uh, When Jesus came into this world, it was his his very heart uh, that condemned the world uh, for for righteousness. He exposed the evil of the world. He exposed the hypocrisy of men. 
He, he demonstrated in his life that, that these men who considered themselves religious leaders were full of hypocrisy, were full of evil, were full of dishonesty, were full of lying in every way, uh, and were not serving God, even though putatively they appeared to be the religious leaders, the very religious leaders. And that is why formal religion is never the cure. I want to say that again. Formal religion is never the cure. Here's the thing. I love that you're a part of this church. I love you. But being a part of this church isn't going to get you to heaven. The only way you're going to heaven is if you're saved and given Jesus Christ your heart. Can I get an amen on that, church? I want you to understand that. So no church is going to bring you to heaven. No denomination is going to bring you to heaven. All right? And, and look, open the Bible and read the first four chapters. I don't know you about your Bible, but my Bible doesn't tell me about any denominations. I didn't see Jesus being part of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. All right? So what does that mean? It means that denominations, and I'm not putting it down because there, there's good work in all kinds of denominations, but what it means is as far as Jesus Christ was concerned, denominationalism was not the issue. God was the issue. The submission before the throne of God was the issue. Uh, and so this is what we need to understand as we come to understand that persecution and suffering are inevitable. Men hated the exposure of their inner hearts and their vices. And so in a similar way, when you live according to the will of God, when you live that way and you walk with God, men ultimately will hate that about you. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. This was the very reason that Daniel was persecuted and suffering. You remember the stories. All he did was lock his room, open his window, and pray towards Jerusalem. He didn't get up and make statements or fiery protestations. He just would pray to, to the Lord and an open window facing towards Jerusalem. And what happened? The men there despised him and hated him. Uh, and, and they decided to, to, to destroy him in every possible way. And what did they say? I have a quote here that says, this man condemns us by what he is doing, so we will have to catch him. How do you like that? He condemns us by what he is doing. We will have to catch him and destroy him. That's the world, you see. That's the world, even people who putatively appear to be religious. And so the Pharisees and the scribes were the same way. They despised and hated Jesus for no other reason than his holiness and his righteousness. So, so what kind of conclusions can we draw uh, from this? What does God have for us in a practical application of understanding this uh, as we walk today with the Lord? Well, uh, first of all, it tells us much about our ideas of Jesus, okay? tells us much about our ideas of Jesus. You know, many of us think, well, you know, if the world knew about Jesus, uh, the world knew about Jesus, the kind of a man he lived, the kind of life he would, they would elevate him. They would be drawn to him. Uh, and in fact, the evidence is absolutely the opposite. When the world saw Jesus, the world generally did not love him. They hated him. Okay, it is only when that person bows before the throne of God in a broken and contrite spirit that they come to understand Jesus. Look, they hated Jesus and ultimately put him to death. 
And this was done by the formal church in Jerusalem. People who were so-called serving God. That's how, that's how really deceived people can be. Uh, and so this becomes important to understand that this is the effect that Jesus has on the world. So don't think that just because people learn about Jesus that they're going to embrace him. No, there's something much more that's needed. The second conclusion is that what we come to understand here in this beatitude is that it tests our ideas about who is a Christian. That's really what it does, you see. It tests our ideas. Jesus warned us about this. Uh, and he said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 26, where he said, quote, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. How about that, Jesus? Woe to you when all the world raises you and lifts you and promotes you. Be very wary of that, Jesus said, because that's how your forefathers treated the false prophets. We don't want the world's affirmation. I don't need the world's affirmation. I need the affirmation of God himself. Let's understand that. Uh, and yet, is this not what we call really the perfect Christian? Uh, that he's always nice. He's well-liked. Uh, he never offends anybody. Uh, and he's easy to get along with. Isn't that almost like the prototypical person we have in mind when we think of the perfect Christian? But if this beatitude is true, that is not the real Christian because the real Christian is a man who is not praised by everybody. He's not praised by everybody. They did not praise our Lord, and they will never praise the man who is like Jesus and lives his life like Jesus. He will never receive the affirmation of the world because we've been pulled out of the world, and the world is sold out to evil. And so this leads to the last conclusion as I wrap this message up, that the new birth, you see, the new birth being born again is an absolute essential aspect uh, before anybody can become a Christian. You can't possibly live like this beatitude unless your life has been changed forever. You cannot. You must be like Christ. It is only when you are imbued with the presence of Christ when the Holy Spirit resides in your heart, that you can walk like this, that you can receive the persecution and the suffering, and yet you see the cross of Christ. You see it, and you walk, and you don't need the affirmation of men, and you can walk in a forgiving spirit, and walk in love, because that's what God wants us to do. Look, one can never be like Christ unless your life is completely changed. And that's what these Beatitudes show us. The world can't say, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to live like this. It's doomed to fail. But only when you live like Christ, when you mourn about your spiritual condition, when you lift up your, your arms, when you approach the throne of God in meekness, when you hunger and thirst uh, for, for wisdom and righteousness, when you become merciful in every way, when you become a peacemaker in every aspect of your life. And you know, as I said last week, being a peacemaker means you've become a messenger, an ambassador of Christ. Why do you think they would despise you? Because all of a sudden, you're not advancing your own will, you're advancing the will of Christ as an ambassador. And they despise that. They hate that. 
And so we should be prepared and understand that, that, that we need to have our entire nature changed. That's what Jesus is telling us uh, in these Beatitudes. And so we need a new nature. We need that in order to love him uh, and to draw ourselves closer to him and to imitate him. And so if you try to imitate Christ, just imitating Christ, well, you know what? The world will probably praise you if you imitate him. But if you become Christ-like, if you become Christ-like, then the world will hate you. Then the world will hate you. And so to become like Jesus, what does that mean? It means we become like light, like the very light of Christ. Light always exposes darkness. Darkness hates the light in every way. We are not meant to be offensive. We are not meant to be foolish. We are not meant uh, to be unwise. We are not even meant to parade our Christian faith around as if it were a poster. We're not meant for any of that. We are not meant to do anything that would call persecution to ourselves. But by being just like Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Christ, changed like Christ, with a new nature like Christ, inevitably, inevitably, persecution and suffering will come. Uh, and so if you find, if you find yourself that in your life that you have been persecuted in this way, you have proof that you are a child of God. You have proof that you are a citizen of heaven uh, and the kingdom of heaven. And, and I, I want to close with the great words of Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. And Paul said, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Look, we don't want to suffer. There's not some part of our brain that's malfunctioning and saying, oh, bring on the suffering. All right? That's not what we want. But here is the answer. It is when we walk with Christ when we're sold out to Christ, when our life has changed, when the righteousness of Christ through the Holy Spirit imbues us in every way and we walk in the world, it is inevitable. It is inevitable. That's how the world will treat you. And some of us not only will find that in the world, but we will find that even within the confines of formal religion. My, my prayer for this church is that every one of us be so sold out on Christ that we're prepared for what comes our way. That even as we walk, even as we experience the, the various things that life throws at us, that God will protect us and affirm us and keep our mind on the cross. Lord, change my heart. Change my life. Help me, Father, to walk with you in every way, to follow you in every way, so that when people see me, they will see Jesus Christ. Because there are people who, when they see you, will be inspired to fall on their knees and ask God to be like you and have Jesus come into their hearts. Amen, church? Let's bow and say a prayer as we close this message. Lord, I thank you so much. For these beatitudes, I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you for the lessons that it teaches us, Lord, even to the extent of understanding that persecution and suffering for being righteous, 
for being righteous falls our way. Lord, let us be righteous in every aspect of our life. Let us walk in righteousness, not about self, some self-issue that we think is important or some cause that we think is important, but instead having ourselves sold out to you to advance the cause of Christ in every way, in every step of our way, and protect us, Lord, as we receive the slashings of this world in every possible way. Affirm us and protect us as we walk within you. Father, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you, church. Amen.